0: Alright guys, welcome back to Blood Sisters True Crime. I'm Alex, and today we are doing a solo episode because Katie's been kind of busy. She's doing a move, she's got kids, she works a third shift schedule, so I'm just going to try to keep us on track with our episode releases by doing a solo episode for this week. And before we start, I do want to let everybody know that there are going to be some trigger warnings in this episode that include depression, self-harm, and suicidal ideation. So, other than that, we're just going to jump into the case of Alyssa Dyleen Bustamante. She was born on January 28th in 1994, and her mother was only 15 years old when she was born, and her mother then became the mother to two younger twin brothers and another daughter. Alyssa's parents, Caesar and Michelle Bustamante, had lost custody of her and her siblings after Michelle began struggling with addiction, and Caesar was in prison for felony assault. So in 2002, Alyssa was 8 years old when her grandparents became the legal guardians of her and her younger siblings. They all began living with their maternal grandparents, Gary and Karen Brooke in St. Martins, Missouri. She grew up with very loving grandparents, but she had also been diagnosed with PTSD at a young age from the experiences that she had when she lived with her parents. I'm unsure what those experiences were, but it was enough to traumatize her. And in 2007, some of Alyssa's friends had began to notice a change in her personality, specifically after Alyssa was hospitalized following a suicide attempt where she took almost an entire bottle of Tylenol and had cut her arms several times. She was only 13 years old at that time, and after her hospitalization, she was prescribed Prozac as an antidepressant, and over time, she would spend several different sessions with therapists. Two years later, in 2009, the dosage of the Prozac was increased when she was 15. During her young teenage life, she'd made friends, she had good grades. Overall, everyone thought she was a very fun-loving and outgoing girl. She was also very active on social media where she would regularly post some kind of depressing statuses and some concerning videos on YouTube. It was around the same time that her friends had noticed that change in her personality. And she even told a couple of her friends that she had wondered what it would be like to kill someone and over time she confided in some friends that she was planning to kill someone. However, her friends thought it was just dark humor and kind of shrugged it off. So among her hobbies that she listed on some of her social media pages, it included cutting and killing people. She also took pictures of herself and uploaded them to some of her social media pages that showed very visible self-harm marks on her arms. Aside from that, she was like any other teenage girl when it came to keeping a diary, and she had some very horrifying thoughts that she wrote in this diary. One of her entries included wanting to burn down a house while people were still inside of it, and her last diary entry would actually become the smoking gun that police would later need. So on October twenty first, two thousand nine, it was a Wednesday evening around five PM, and Elizabeth Olton, who was nine years old and lived just about four houses down from where the Bustamontes and their grandparents lived, she had been at home practicing her lines for a play that she was gonna be in at school while her mother Patty had been cooking dinner. A knock happened on the door and Elizabeth's friend Emma Bustamante had been asking if Elizabeth could come play. Originally Patty said no, she almost had dinner ready, it was already 5 o'clock, but once she saw how excited the girls were to go play together, she finally agreed that they could as long as Elizabeth was home by 6. She knew that her daughter was very afraid of the dark, and she didn't want her being out after the sun had set. But after 6pm, Elizabeth still hadn't returned home, and her mother Patty began to worry. She tried to call Elizabeth's cell phone multiple times, but it went straight to voicemail, so Patty decided to call Emma's grandparents to find out if Elizabeth was still at their house. When Karen Brooke answered the phone, she told Patty that she hadn't seen Elizabeth at their house at all that day. Patty didn't waste any more time and immediately called the police who were on the scene by 6.30 p.m. Police started their investigation by speaking to Emma, who was the last known person with Elizabeth emma told police that they had played together outside by the woods and when six o'clock rolled around elizabeth told emma she had to go home and she left meanwhile investigators had began searching for elizabeth in the nearby neighborhood they'd started putting up roadblocks to check cars driving by just in case she'd been abducted and within four hours of elizabeth being reported missing several neighbors had come out to help search for elizabeth On October 22, 2009, the very next day, hundreds of volunteers had been scattered throughout the entire neighborhood searching for Elizabeth while the FBI joined the investigation. Investigators had attempted to ping Elizabeth's cell phone, which led them to an area inside of the woods, but during the search, they weren't able to locate the phone before the battery died. And during part of the search for the local volunteers, One of them came across a small grave that had clearly been dug purposely, and thankfully there was nothing inside of the grave, and relief swept over all of the volunteers. And while volunteers and family continued search on foot, police acquired the phone records for Elizabeth's cell phone and realized that she had received a call from Emma's older sister, Alyssa, on the day that she had disappeared. So, investigators then went back to Emma for more information, and that's when Emma told them a key piece of information that she had previously left out. She told police that her sister, Alyssa, had actually been the reason she went to Elizabeth's house, and that Elizabeth and Emma had left the Olton's house and were walking towards Emma's house when Alyssa told Emma to go back home and then let Elizabeth into the woods. At this time, Emma was just six years old. I'm sure she didn't think much of it. She just listened to her older sister, and she headed back home. She also told investigators that a little while after that, she had been playing outside by herself and she ended up dropping her hair tie in a spiky bush. She tried to get it out, but she ended up getting her hand scratched up by the spikes of the bush. And when she jolted back from the pain, her foot got caught. She couldn't get her foot out. So she started calling for help and Alyssa came to help her. She thought that she had seen Alyssa come from the house, but she, was mistaken which we will find out more so later but Alyssa helped her out of the hole and Emma asked her why she was bleeding when she saw that Alyssa had blood on the inner thigh of her pants and Alyssa told her that she had gotten her period but that it was embarrassing and she made Emma promise not to tell anyone. So after Emma's second interview with investigators They wanted to speak to Alyssa, so they brought her in for an interview while her grandmother was present since she was still a minor. And a juvenile officer as well was there as an advocate for Alyssa. Her name was Toby Meyer. And Sergeant David Rice began the interview by asking some questions that were very simple. This interview took place just the very next day after Elizabeth had gone missing, so it's still October 22nd. And In the beginning, all David Rice wanted to know was what had happened exactly for the day of Alyssa on the day that Elizabeth went missing. During the interview, Alyssa told him that she had gone to school. She had missed the bus that day, so her grandfather drove her to school, and she came home around 3.30 or 4 o'clock. She went for a walk around 4.30 or 5 and she was gone for about an hour while she took her walk in the woods and before she returned home to get ready for a church function she saw her sister stuck in the bush she got her out she did tell police that she told her sister not to tell them about the blood that she claimed was period blood and Then she went inside she got ready for church and her family and her left for their wednesday night church function she then told police that when she got home she saw that the neighborhood was flooded with police cars and searchers and that's when she realized that something was going on she told police that after they all got home from church she just went upstairs and she went to bed and during the interview sergeant rice had gotten more details on the path that Alyssa claimed to have taken during her walk in the woods He also asked her about the hole that they had found in the woods. She told Rice that she, quote, just liked to dig holes, end quote, and that sometimes she would even dig holes with her twin brothers. She told Sergeant Rice that she got bored easily, but she was also very entertained easily. So digging holes was just something that she could do to occupy herself and pass the time. So as the interview continued, Sergeant Rice continued to gather some more information on Alyssa as well as her story. And it came up that Alyssa had a boyfriend named Dustin. She told Rice that she thinks he'd already been interviewed, and she he had. But what she didn't know was that Dustin had been interviewed and taken a polygraph test as well. And the polygraph test came back showing signs of deception for Dustin. After that, he'd been confronted with the results, and he finally confessed to investigators that Alyssa had come to his house earlier that day on October 22nd, a day after Elizabeth's disappearance, and had confided in him that she'd strangled Elizabeth and cut her throat. Dustin was never charged with anything. He was never believed to have anything to do with the crime. He was even showing signs of fear during his interview with investigators, saying that he was scared of Alyssa and that if Alyssa found out he had given them information to put her away, he was worried that she would come after him and his family. So, after the interview with Alyssa had been continuing, it went on for quite a while. And at about an hour into the interview, Sergeant Rice told Alyssa that they had found her diary. And he told her that if someone writes down something and then uses a pin to try to mark it out, police still have ways to find out what the original writing said. And Sergeant Rice told her that this because after they had searched her room and found her diary, that very last entry was scribbled out very harsh with a blue pen and after investigators worked a little bit of magic they were able to read the entire diary entry which read quote i just fucking killed someone i strangled them and slit their throat and stabbed them now they're dead i don't know how to feel at the moment it was amazing as soon as you get over the oh my god i can't do this feeling it's pretty enjoyable i'm kind of nervous and shaky though right now okay i gotta go to church now lol End quote. The diary entry was dated October 21st, and that blue pen had been used to scribble out the entire entry except for the very last sentence. Sergeant Rice told Alyssa that they needed the truth and that her diary had been read, they knew what she had written, and she stayed silent. Over a minute passed during that interview of just complete silence when he confronted her about the diary entry. Then Alyssa asked they asked Alyssa where Elizabeth was, and Alyssa told them she didn't know. That's when juvenile officer Toby Myers spoke up, telling Alyssa that they needed her to be honest. If she knows anything, she needs to tell them. I'm not gonna lie, the interrogation was pretty confusing just for me watching it. I do have it linked in the show notes, but it was a little confusing for the fact that it just it went all over the place. The questions Sergeant Rice did not ask each question back to back. He would kind of trail off or try to be nice. I totally get it, what he was doing, but my ADHD brain had a little bit of trouble staying with it, so I have tried to minimize it to the best of my ability. So finally, after a while of the interrogation, Sergeant Rice did start to get some more truth out of Alyssa, and he finally asked her if it was an accident, and she told him that it was and then she put her hand over her face and she started crying Alyssa told Detective Rice that she had gone into the forest like she had said and had found Elizabeth alone in the forest she told him that she spent some time with Elizabeth since it had been a nice day outside which already contradicted several statements she had already made because she had earlier told Detective Rice I'm sorry Sergeant Rice that she found Elizabeth annoying And Elizabeth was also very afraid of being in the woods, especially alone, so it's very unlikely that Elizabeth would have just been hanging out in the woods by herself, and it's even more unlikely that Alyssa would have run into her and then just wanted to hang out with a nine-year-old. Anyway, while in tears, Alyssa told Sergeant Rice that Elizabeth fell and had died from the fall. She then told him that she would panic. She didn't know what to do so she claimed that she burned her body in a pile of wood. Now this is a 15 year old girl to a an adult detective who knew that trying to get rid of a body by burning it would take a while. It takes at least two hours and it has to be at like a very high temperature around like a little over 1800 degrees Fahrenheit for you to be able to get rid of the body by burning so he knew that she didn't have the time the resources or any of that not to mention if she had tried to burn a body the searchers started within just an hour or so after Elizabeth had been reported missing there still would have been some kind of smell that they would have been able to notice they would have been able to notice where it came from so he knew immediately that that was very untrue Alyssa's interrogation also becomes very contradicting. She lies a lot during her interview slash interrogation, part of which is that she claims that she dug that hole that was found in the woods the day that Elizabeth went missing before she saw Elizabeth. Later, she claims that she dug that hole after Elizabeth had died because she didn't know what to do with the body. Either way, Sergeant Rice was very aware that he wasn't getting the full truth from Alyssa, so he started explaining to Alyssa that once they found Elizabeth's body, once they did an autopsy, all of the truth would come out, and that this was the time for her to be completely honest about what that autopsy was going to show. Alyssa continues with her claim, saying that it was just an accident, and that her and Elizabeth had been messing around somehow, and Elizabeth fell, and she hit the back of her head, and she died. Sergeant Rice then asked Alyssa if Elizabeth's throat had been cut, to which Alyssa replied, saying it was. This is before Elizabeth's body had been found, but this is most likely based off of the interview that they had conducted with Dustin, Alyssa's boyfriend, who had told them what Alyssa had said. So at that moment in the interrogation, Alyssa's grandmother, who'd still been in the room, began crying, and she was just in complete shock and was very upset. So Alyssa then asked if her grandmother could leave. They allowed her grandmother to leave the room. Within a few minutes after that, you could hear her grandmother shouting about the situation, saying, No, it'll never be okay. Her grandmother was clearly very upset about the situation and I doubt she had any idea that Alyssa was involved to the extent that she actually was. Sergeant Rice continued with the interrogation, telling Alyssa his theory and that he believed that she probably dug that hole before she had been with Elizabeth that day and that this was more of a premeditated plan and Alyssa continued to cry and told him that his theory was correct and she confessed that she had taken a kitchen knife with her for the murder, and she had left it in the sink of her house. So she then confessed that she had stabbed Elizabeth after she would cut her throat and strangled her, and she stated that she thought she had stabbed her twice. She still stuck by her earlier statement that she had burned Elizabeth's body and then scattered, quote, scattered her remains in the creek. Scattered is a kind of strange word to use for this, and it's also pointed out in one of the interrogation videos that is looked over by analysts about her confession, so thing about scattered, it kind of implies that there were ashes and again, there's just no possible way with the short amount of time and the resources that Alyssa had and didn't have for her to have been able to successfully burn a human body in that short amount of time and then have ashes left over so and sergeant rice knew that sergeant rice was not a dumb man so he knew that and he questioned her about the rest of the details in her story that he could poke holes in including the hole that had been dug asking her why that was there he knew that there was a likely chance that Alyssa had just buried elizabeth somewhere else and they were still unable to find exactly where. Towards the end of the interrogation, Sergeant Rice had actually started to question Alyssa on whether she had help or not. He believed that there was a possibility that Alyssa's grandfather, Gary, had helped her to cover it up, asking Alyssa, you know, he loves you, he would do anything to protect you, did he possibly help you in covering this up, but Alyssa denied any chance or possibility of that being possible because she never had his help. Genuinely, Gary did not help her with any of that. So once Sergeant Rice finally got a full confession out of Alyssa, she did agree to lead them to Elizabeth's remains and they found her body buried in a very shallow grave about half a mile from Alyssa's house. And once Elizabeth's body was recovered, the autopsy showed exactly what parts of Alyssa's confession had definitely been a lie. Now, I know Alyssa's interrogation is a bit confusing. Again, I have trouble keeping up with it a little bit myself because it kind of switches back and forth a lot. But I'm going to kind of do a summary real quick about everything that we know is definitely true and was actually presented as evidence in the trial. So investigators actually presented in court that Alyssa had planned to kill and that she had actually dug that, dug that grave in the woods several days before she had actually committed the murder. And she had used her sister by encouraging her to go get Elizabeth to come over to play. Once Emma and Elizabeth had left the Olton house together, Alyssa sent Emma back to their own house and took Elizabeth into the woods, telling her that she had something cool to show her. And once she had Elizabeth further into the woods, she attacked her by strangling her, she cut her throat, and she stabbed her with a kitchen knife eight times. She then buried Elizabeth in a shallow grave and covered the disturbed dirt with some leaves. Her body had never been burned like Alyssa had previously claimed. I think that was just her hoping to throw them off or hoping that they would stop maybe looking for the body so that there wouldn't be a body for evidence. Either way, the body had never been burned, and it was pretty clear that there was no way for it to be burned. Anyway, Alyssa was charged with first-degree murder, and she was tried as an adult. She answered a plea of not guilty, despite her confession and having led investigators to the location of Elizabeth's body. But there had been a motion filed by Alyssa's attorneys to suppress the confession, Since Toby Meyer, who was the juvenile officer that was in the interrogation room, was there to act as an advocate and support for Alyssa when she cut in and told Alyssa that she needed to tell them the truth, if she knew anything, it was out of her jurisdiction. She was not legally allowed to partake in any part of the questioning in that interrogation or interview. She was supposed to be there strictly as a juvenile advocate. So when she spoke up, that completely threw everything off and the judge ruled it as a deceptive tactic since Alyssa had been told by Meyer that she was her advocate. The judge agreed that Meyer, having told Alyssa she was her advocate and then asking her to tell them what she knew, most likely gave Alyssa a false sense of trust that the confession would be in her best interest. So due to the mistake made by Toby Meyer, most of the video confession and transcript were inadmissible in court. However, two years later, Alyssa ended up changing her plea once her attorneys explained to her that she was facing life in prison without parole if she was found guilty by a jury for the first-degree murder charge. So she accepted a plea deal and pleaded guilty to second-degree murder and armed criminal action. Her attorneys had argued for a sentence that was less than the life in prison, claiming that the Prozac Alyssa took made her more prone to violence, but regardless, on February 8th of 2012, She was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole for the second-degree murder charge and received an additional 30 years for the armed criminal action charge. Several months later, the U.S. Supreme Court had ruled in a separate case that juveniles cannot face automatic life sentences without the possibility of parole. After this ruling, Alyssa got a new attorney, and in January of 2014, she filed a motion and testified in court saying she wouldn't have ever accepted that plea deal if she had known that there was a possibility that the Supreme Court would be changing the law for juvenile sentencing with life in prison. Her original attorney, Charles Moreland, had also testified at this motion, stating that they had made Alyssa very aware of the pending ruling by the Supreme Court. The judge, who also ruled over the murder trial for Alyssa, stated that Alyssa would have pleaded guilty to the lesser charge, regardless of the advice from her attorneys. Therefore, her testimony was not credible. Also, in 2009, there was a an earlier hearing for Alyssa's trial, and that was when Sergeant David Rice had also testified that Alyssa had not only confessed to the murder, but she had also told him, quote, I wanted to know what it felt like to kill someone, end quote. So, Alyssa's sentencing required that she spend at least 35 years in prison before she could be eligible for parole. However, on July 14th, 2021, a new Senate bill was signed by Missouri Governor Mike Parson, and it went into effect on August 28th, 2021. Senate Bill 26 modifies several different provisions, including juvenile parole eligibility. Quote, This act provides that any offender sentenced to a term of imprisonment amounting to 15 years or more or multiple terms that amount to 15 years or more who is under 18 years of age at the time of the commission of the offense may be be eligible for parole after serving 15 years of incarceration, regardless of whether the case is final for the purpose of appeal. Such person may be eligible for reconsideration hearings in accordance with parole board regulations. End quote. That means that Alyssa Bustamante will no longer have to serve the original 35-year requirement before she can be eligible for parole. In fact, Alyssa only has to serve 15 years and is actually scheduled for a parole hearing in July of next year, in 2024. So the National Organization of Juvenile Murders has created a petition on behalf of the Olton family to repeal Senate Bill 26. This petition states that this law will force victims to relive horrific crimes. It also states that by allowing criminals such as murderers, rapists, or etc. to be paroled after 15 years demeans the crime. If you're listening and you agree that the petition needs to be repealed by Senate Bill 26 in Missouri, I have linked the petition in the show notes, so if you would like to sign that, you can. They have about 3,700 signatures out of the goal of their 5,000. So, aside from that, our episode kind of ends there. I've- I'm a little iffy on this one, I think, because she- yes, she was young, you know, like, she was 15, but at the same time, that was a very brutal murder with very little conscience behind it. So- Let me know what you guys think and thank you all for listening. Please follow our podcast and our Instagram to help us out and we will be back next week hopefully with Katie and everybody stay safe.